you're listening to the Degrees of Freedom podcast. Conversations about higher education in the 21st century between students and teachers. Produced at the University of Groningen. Hello and welcome to another episode of Degrees of Freedom. This is the second part of this two-part special on the Best uh, Practice in Teaching and Learning Awards at the University of Groningen. Malcolm, it's nice to see you here again. It's nice to be here with you. And it's very nice to be here with two more teachers from the Faculty of Behavioral and Social Sciences uh, nominated for this award, representing sociology and the research master, the program of the research master. Uh, Marike Han, Martin Derksen, uh, very welcome to Degrees of Freedom. It's nice to talk to you today. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Introduce yourselves, please. Tell us uh, what you do, how long you've been at this faculty, what you teach. Marike. Yeah, hi. Thank you for having me. It's my first time in a podcast. Pretty exciting. I'm Marike Haan. I'm a, a university teacher at the sociology department since 2018. I did my PhD in Groningen, actually. Finished in 2015. Right, here at the Faculty of Arts, actually. And um, then I went to Utrecht as a postdoc at the Method and Statistics Department. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up in Groningen again at the Sociology Department, um, where I uh, teach mainly method courses. So methodology, data collection, qualitative research methods. But also we have a lot of projects. And I also am then uh, a tutor to students there. And I have some PhD students, master students that I supervise. So uh, very diverse tasks and I uh, really like it. I think this is something that the three of us, uh, Martin, I and you, Marika, have in common. We all teach, uh, we, uh, our teaching has been traditionally heavy on methodology courses. Martin, what do you teach? Uh, um, I teach uh, all sorts of things. I teach on all levels in all years. Uh, I teach in the first year the history of psychology course in the, in the Dutch bachelor. Then in the second year I teach Wetenschaps uh, theory, a theory of science. Then in the third year um, I used to be the coordinator for a course called Controversies in Psychology, but uh, somebody took it away from me. <laughs> Um, and then I do some teaching in our own master track, also called Theory and History of Psychology. And, um, and then I have uh, this course in the research master, which is called uh, Reflecting on, Sci uh, on Science and Integrity. Oh. Uh, thank you. I think you both already kind of said a bit about um, your background, but I was wondering uh, if you could say a bit more, like how you you became interested in, in, in teaching in higher education in maybe just generally speaking, if, if I can maybe ask you first, Marika. Yeah, sure. So I think this started a while back. I studied uh, communication sciences and also I have a master in international and European law, so that's <laughs> very diverse. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I just, when I started studying, I just liked a lot of things. And when I was working on my thesis uh, at the Faculty of Arts, um, my supervisor asked me if I wanted to teach a course with him. And re he really got me enthusiastic about teaching. And then also about research. So with me, I think the teaching came first and then the research interest came. I think there I developed skills and I, I then, uh, then I started doing my PhD and I kept on teaching as well. And um, yeah, I... 
yeah, I really stayed into it. And then in, in, in Utrecht, I, I really started teaching methods and statistics courses and also qualitative research courses, which I really like because they are very practical. So I really like to be, I, I like to teach practical courses. I also like, the, of course, the, the more substantive part of, of research, but I do really like to connect it to the, the real world and things we can really work with instead of only sticking to theory. Mm. So I think that's really, yeah, what th- and that's why I also teach these courses like methodology data collection. I, I use a lot of real life examples in my teaching, but students then also, I hope at least they can immediately apply it to their projects but also like when they're watching the news they can immediately see okay this is good research or maybe they and they should be critical about what they are presented with so i think i did my first teaching when i was like marika when i was uh, still a phd mm-hmm. uh, i remember uh, teaching um like a, a practicum or a, like a d- it was like a discussion group about uh, Wittgenstein's uh, philosophical investigations. That must have been terrible. Mm. And uh, that course, Controversies and Psychology, I, uh, that I mentioned, I set it up with Dawid Reisma when I was a PhD student. Um, and so that was my first teaching. Um, and yeah, when I came here in 2002, I came back to Groningen as a, as a lecturer. Then that was just part of the you know, part of the contract. Mm. And I think I, yeah, I started immediately with the history of psychology course. Ah. Yeah, I think. Which was scary. It was scary. But <laughs> it's a first year, sco- it's a first yeah. year course. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, lots of students probably in the, in the hall. Yeah, 300. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right away in front of a lot of people. I was interested in, because I know, Marika, you said that you're the, the teacher you're working with they made you very enthusiastic about teaching. And I guess I would like to ask both of you, um, yeah, if you felt it came naturally, because of course in your case, Marika, you felt like the teacher um, really made you feel enthusiastic about it. I was wondering like what about what they did made you feel enthusiastic about teaching? And maybe the same for Martin, or like what what maybe made you feel like, oh, this is something I can do. But maybe we can start with Marika first. Yeah, right. Well, I think it's well, maybe a difficult question as well. <laughs> what do I, <laughs> of course, it's a while ago, but I, I, I think for me it also started, I, I really like engaging with students, teaching them new things, seeing them understanding new things and then asking questions and have a, have a discussion with them. And I really like the moment that I see from, oh, now they get it, right? So you can see it in their papers but you can uh, you see it more I- in class itself so in the lectures that you think oh yeah now they really get it or now they are starting to get critical that's also no. something i really like no. like now they are uh, wha- for example uh, i mean sampling it's it's a really it, it's it's um, the topic to them that that's they d- at from the beginning they don't really like it. it's like sampling why is it interesting but then when i present them with something from the news and i say oh this is a very very bad sample they cannot for example generalize to other populations or what they are saying now it's just not correct and when s- once they start getting that they also think oh wow this is th- this is interesting i should know about this also as as a student as a researcher but also in my future jobs without being a researcher this is important stuff so I think that's what 
yeah, inspired is a is a it's a big <laughs> word, but that's why I like that's one of the things that I like uh, from teaching. And I'm also a very organized person, and I really can, <laughs> I think I can really use this in my courses. So just really, I, I really like just organize a course and then see it uh, unfold and see that it works every week. And then at the end, you have like a yeah a set of goals that that uh, yeah learning goals that they that that you have achieved and that um, that students yeah really have learned about these these yeah learning. Yeah, learning aims that you had. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, is this is it a bit clear or is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. oh, it clear. is. Yeah, and it's <laughs> kind of funny because you said like you really like um, the practical courses. And yeah, it kind of is reflected in what you like seeing in the students. I feel in that they look like, oh, I can actually apply this in the real world, and then they see the the use of, for example, sampling. Yeah. Um, so I found that interesting that there was kind of a connection, at least from what I was sitting. Um, yeah, and Martin, I don't know if you if you have any thoughts on it as well. Like, what kind of made you? If th- was there anything that really pulled you to teaching, or that made you feel like, ah, oh, this is something I can do, or did this, is it something that grew maybe for you? Well, t- to be honest, th- there was nothing specific that drew me to teaching mm. other than that that was in my contract. Yeah, and I do I do like teaching. So like uh, Marika, I, d- I like these moments when you see students' eyes light up and. You know, you get the feeling that you taught them some something, and this is one of the reasons why first year teaching in a large hall is so difficult, because you never see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might happen, I don't know, but uh, you you never see it. Whereas if you have a smaller group, uh, then every now and then you have the feeling that you actually changed somebody's life. Yeah, um, and and that's uh, I d- yeah, that's a, a nice experience. Then you really feel useful as a teacher. And another thing that I that I like, and and yeah, one thing that keeps me attracted to teaching is when students give their opinion, and this is particularly in a in a course like reflecting on science and in decadry, which is a, a research master course. Um, these are students that have opinions, and. Uh, feel free to, and, and they get the freedom to, to give their opinions about the matters that we discuss. And, uh, and of course, it's a, it's a course where it's, a, it's about topics that are, to a large extent, matters of, of debate. Um, but I often get the feeling that uh, this is somewhat rare for them to get, to get mm-hmm. the, the opportunity to give their opinion. And the same is, is true of that controversies in psychology course. So that's a third-year elective course, and I sometimes get the feeling I, I've never done any research, but I sometimes get the feeling that it's basically the first time that somebody asks them, "What do you think?" And then you get very interesting discussions, and very, you know, not all their opinions are are well thought out, of course, but uh, uh, I guess neither are mine. But yeah, that's good to see that they they start to uh, approach. You know the the things that we uh, we study, as as things that you can also not just um, learn about, but also think about and and talk about. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine it. And do you feel like then they're more engaged? Because my my next yeah. question actually was going to go into um, how both of you um, 
tackle designing and delivering your courses um, to make sure that students feel engaged and yeah maybe feel heard as well kind of going into what you were saying Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you want to maybe say a bit more I guess that really depends on what kind of course it is Mm. so for a a first year history of psychology course with 300 students well not they're not never all there in the hall of course but um there is just no or very little room for interaction. So th- this is, of course, more where, you know, it's, uh, it's about teaching them uh, content. Mm. Um, but for uh, a third-year course like uh, Controversies in Psychology, which has a smaller group, um, then you can, uh, you, you can plan, uh, you know, questions that you ask them uh, things that you want to m- to discuss about. Sometimes I would, uh, you know, break a group into little breakout groups, mm-hmm. and you know, you, you discuss this, and then we'll discuss it all together, that kind of thing. So then I would plan more uh, around, uh, yeah, topics that they can talk about. Wait, wait, I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge this. Uh, I I feel left out for the last couple of minutes. So. <laughs> I'm going to challenge this in in two ways, Martin. First of all, saying that there's not a lot of room for interaction in a large-scale course. It's just more difficult, I guess. It, it, I guess the synchronous or interaction, the live interaction aspect or the, the uh, interaction that we come to expect in a conversation like the one that we no. have now or that we can have in a group with, I don't know, maybe 20 people, but even then I would say... Having a conversation with twenty people is is very very challenging. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. Second, I would say that interaction is possible to have on levels that aren't in the lecture itself or in conversational terms. But also, I'm going to challenge this because y- you, I know, used to teach research methods and especially the integrity and ethics part. And I remember very well that you were doing this in an interactive way. You wanted to have discussions oh with yeah. your students. And these were uh, this was a course with 300 students. And I remember that you were doing this for years. And I remember that, by and large, you were happy with the experience or happy to continue with it. So how do these two things square? <laughs> um, Explain <no>. yourself, Martin. <laughs> this is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> this is not what I came here for. <laughs> Um, no, it's, it's true that if you have, uh, you know, if you have a second year uh, research methods and ethics course, uh, then you will have you know, typically 100 students in the hall, um, the, the, the ones who are interested in the topic. A- and then I would, uh, I would put a scenario before them and say, okay, well, what would you do? Uh, and, and then, yeah, some would, uh, you know, raise their hand and they would answer. Um, it's, it's difficult to manage a thing like that, I found. Um, I was never entirely happy with that because what you often get is that I ask a question and somebody answers and then somebody else answers and somebody else answers. Um, and and then I was always like, okay, now what? Um, and then I would just continue. Uh, and and that's just my lack of skill, I suppose. But uh, it's difficult to keep a thing like that going. 
I hear you. I, I find this very challenging too. And I actually, I was reminded uh, when you were talking, I, I the, the word that was coming to my mind is something that you said earlier, Marike, which is that you're a very organized person. You have a very, I take this to mean, and I possibly am wrong, I take it to mean that you're very structured with the way that you teach in your life. Like yeah. just you have a certain sense of control or a certain sense of expectations about what is going to happen and when. And these two things, the discussion and the control, are diametrically opposed. Mm. They are at least in some kind of tension with one another. Yeah. Um, do you ever feel that it's useful to actively decide to lose control for a period of the time in your classes for the purpose of seeing what happens, as in not just as a, a social experiment, mm. but as a as a as a way to um, maybe increase engagement in a classroom, but also, Martin, to go back to what you said, you like it when students give their opinions. You said this is yeah. there's value in that too. So so I love it when I lose control in the class <laughs> because it, it means that they have taken over control. And and then uh, I, ca I can sort of try to manage a bit and try to steer. or uh, And at some point I'll say, okay, well, now... I'm going to say something again. But no, I, when I lose control like that, I love it. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure what Marika thinks. But yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> I think for me it depends a bit. I think in smaller context, I'm fine with that. So I also have these small groups of like 12 students, uh, which I supervise in a project. And then when they start a discussion and it's, it's just going, I like seeing that because they are challenging each other, right? Yeah. Um, when something, I, I also teach methodology data collection. It's a first year course, but it's also a pre-master course. So we have about 140 students. Of course, sociology is, is smaller than psychology, but we are also growing. Mm. Um, so especially in the beginning, there are like about 100 students and then <laughs> it goes to like 80 maybe. <laughs> but no, they're still um, attending. Um, yeah, I, I, so in this courses, I plan discussions so i try to i plan like small assignments uh i know often when i want to ask them questions about when we watch the video or when um uh, i give them a, a small assignment about okay think about this concept how would you uh, operationalize this concept it's very like very uh, these are methodological uh, methodological questions and then i just let them think about it and then I watch them doing it and see how much time they need. I usually say you have five minutes, but then after three minutes when it's get like it mm. it's getting louder and louder, I just ask them, Are you are you done? Are you finished? And most of the time mm. they are. Um and then we discuss and sometimes it's a very nice discussion and sometimes they don't really give you anything and that's then oh. then it's hard and then um, I think when I started teaching, then I wanted to fill fill it fill it all in, right? And now I'm also sometimes like, okay, if you do not have anything, we just continue and just we'll have a break. yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, take a break or maybe you have questions later. Especially also in the uh, second year course, so the qualitative research methods course. Then then we ha I have about eighty uh, ninety um, second year bachelor students. They, they have to prepare questions before they come to class. If mm. they don't, they and I do that from the from the first lecture on, if they don't prepare, I'm also not always willing to give them all the answers and then they have to figure it out themselves. 
Um, and this course is also, I think, <laughs> it is organized. So if you do not read it from the beginning, you are already falling behind. So I think this also helps them to prepare these questions. And if they prepare these questions, you also get nicer discussions. They're maybe on a higher level as well. Um, so uh, coming back to your question, no, it's not always <laughs> organized. Um, but I think also in this this bigger groups, that's maybe a response to, to Martin, but I hear you already also did that uh, in, in the past. I think you can interact, but it's, it's totally different from these smaller groups and also uh. different from research master students or students that are older and are in their third year and yeah. have learned more about uh, being critical, for example. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and some students just don't like to speak up in a large crowd. No, uh, but I, I understand. Yeah, but I uh, still have the same if I go to conferences and it's like a big yeah, hall, yeah. then I really think, is my question that important? <laughs> Should I really ask yeah. this in front of like 200 people? So I, I, I understand that they are also a bit hesitant. Yeah. Um, but I think if you, you create that, that environment from the first lecture on and, uh, and they see that, that it's okay to ask questions and, I, and, and all these questions are fine and you can discuss, um, that uh, also in the, the second and the third lecture, they will do it again. So yes. it's that first lecture is yeah. also very important. Yeah, and I also think that um, apart from the, the content of the courses, um, this is something that they have to learn. They have to learn to discuss with each other. They have yeah. to learn to have an ac academic conversation. Right. Um, do we do this? Do we no. help with this? Or do we do this? Um, I guess what I'm asking is, do we promote this and do we create good structures for it? Do we help our students learn this very difficult skill of engaging in conversation, um, asking questions, being asked questions, challenging and being challenged. Do we have enough of that? No, I'm not sure that we do. So we, we do have like this first year uh, thing where we teach them like sort of skills, like practical skills. Yeah. And I think they learn like, like professional skills. Yeah. So maybe they, well, they of course they get something from it, but really like, yeah, no. At a at a certain level of of uh, doing a, a academic discussion, I no, I d I don't think so. We uh, we all need to teach them that, but I yeah. Yeah, I was gonna ask because you're from sociology yeah. and um, two of you are from uh, psychology, and I'm from educational sciences. So you kind of cover all of them, and we have something called mentoras and then in the first year then you right yeah, yeah exactly and then you talk about like uh yeah or mostly it's mainly academic right and skill yeah, yeah exactly but i don't recall ever like having any discussions about discussing things really mm -hmm. um so that's interesting indeed i don't feel like we have that at least at our department so i, I found it very interesting when you when you made the parallel between the students' experiences of thinking about, you know, how do I engage in conversation? Should I ask my question? And your experiences in a conference when you're thinking, is my question really that important that I should <laughs> go and ask it? And uh, I, I think the answer is yes, clearly your, your, your question must be important. And the... Uh, or no, yeah, the probably. Times. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> am. Um, and how do we help our students get to this yes when they have this question themselves i remember from actually i remember not i don't just remember this is a continuous experience that 
I always feel hesitant. This is, I think, a shared experience to feel hesitant to um, to interrupt a seemingly structured um, learning experience or conversation with your thought, which you think only pertains to your own brain, to your own pattern of thinking. Um, but can we uh, agree at least that we would welcome this, that these kind of questions provide lively punctuation to an intellectual task? Yes. But I, I also think that um, learning this kind of thing, how to ask questions, um, how to discuss with each other, um, is, is part of being socialized as an academic. And I don't think this socialization uh, needs to happen or, or can happen only in courses. Um, I think to some extent students just have to see uh, the grown-ups having a conversation. Um, and, and I would, uh, I would really be in favor of uh, involving students more in um, that kind of, you know, the kind of academic conversations that we have as researchers. So, uh, invite uh, students to... Why are there no students at the Heimans? Uh, Why are there no staff members at the Heimans? Well, Colloquia? this is also the case. I think there aren't because, in general, uh, we don't have this culture. No. I think it's fair to say that this culture of, of um, uh, scientific and educational commons is no. um, not very developed. Let's put no. it um, that way. I think we lack platforms where we have these discussions. This mm -hmm. is this is part of the mission statement of this podcast to 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 bridge a gap like this, to improve these, uh, to provide a space to have these discussions on uh, on this level. Um, but I I I I hear what you're saying, Martin. In terms of um, these are behaviors that don't just uh, magically exist or not exist within a course. These are part of a general social context or a set of norms or a set of cultural values that um, we can promote within and outside of a classroom. Yeah, it, it's it's so we have like uh, every. Um, Department S is the educational committee, and I like this really, this committee very much because here our students and teachers are are joined together, right? So, and you also see that in when a student starts joining this committee, they are also still a bit maybe hesitant, and they um, they are not sure if their opinion matters, but uh, but of course it does. And then after maybe two three meetings, they mm -hmm. are getting really engaged, yeah. and um, <laughs> here you really see that that. That, that I think that engagement developing and also their the discussion skills and um, yeah that that's the and and we also in sociology we have the like a jaarvertegenwoordiging so people from every year they uh, write yeah so yeah, yeah right they they write uh, they write these reports about the courses and these are also students also from from the first year on that are very critical and of course they ta take upon these tasks so you can say this is, this is a bit of a selection effect like mm -hmm. these are uh, these are s uh, typical students who also like to engage but still uh, because we have this this re uh, yearly representatives um other students see as well that their opinion matters and that we take them seriously. So this is something um, where it, it, I think 
at, at least at sociology, really, yeah, students start to learn that their opinion matters and also in our courses and that we do improve our courses when they tell us that something is that that can that can be improved for example so mm. so it's not really on a maybe on an academic level about about sub- substantive issues but it's 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 a start of course that they are they are engaged in in our teaching and our courses so you yeah it's interesting because I, I wanted to ask a question about feedback and how you you go about um, asking for feedback um, processing the feedback, doing something with the feedback. And this is, of course, one way of doing so. Um, how do you feel about feedback in general with your students? Do you feel like you get enough? Um, do you feel like you can do something with the feedback that you get? I'm just wondering, what are your first thoughts when you think about that the feedback that you get from students and how you try to get it from them? Yes. So, yeah. Um, when I started teaching, uh, we of course we uh, we have this quantitative mm. feedback, right? They they fill mm. out these surveys about yeah. the teaching. I don't really like them with because it's most of the time without context. Sometimes you have these open questions, but mm. they, they yeah they they can be quite harsh, especially <laughs> when I started teaching. I was like, hmm, right, and <laughs> I was almost afraid sometimes to give the same course the next year. Like, oh, is it is it good enough now, right? And now I'm used to it that you get these quantitative uh, results, but I have to say most of the time I really use the, um, the reports that I get from students. So written reports which have more yeah, substantive feedback on things that you really that you did in your course that were good, that were that can be improved. I really like these reports. And I always also during the course I ask them for a lot of feedback. So somewhere in the middle, as I ask the yearly representatives, what do you think? Should I change something? What do you like? And then I can continue this this way of working. And also at the end, always in my last lecture, I ask them for for feedback. Um, because then I also have the students that are not in these yearly representative uh, groups um, that might not get get hurt otherwise and they can also give their opinion so no i really value uh, their feedback but i'm also always thinking okay they they also they want a lot of things students right also the, a lot of things can be improved but um sometimes just not practical or sometimes i think no i will not give you this because i do not think for example my um explanation about an assignment should be too specific because you need to figure it out yourself mm. so i also respond to them giving me feedback and say if 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 i really going to do something with it or sometimes just say no i think this is actually good that you do not get all this specific information from me mm. so you see this as a conversation from what i i can tell do you see the feedback as as one element of a conversation between you and the students about understanding the nature of an activity, yeah. um, giving context about how you are exactly thinking yeah, about I give a lot of context yeah yeah because I really think about organizing the course and the, and the the context the course is given in yeah definitely can I yeah sorry no no, no you continue I was a, a couple of times Mike you mentioned um, um, actually both of you talked about your your beginning teaching experiences now also when it comes to to feedback i have um, a host of questions that are things that i'm i'm very curious about your uh, starting experiences i'll start with something very simple did anybody ever help you 
process the feedback that you get in your courses, especially in the beginning? Did uh, did you have a mentor or a colleague with whom you could go or to whom you could go and say, "This is what I read, and it is um, it is exciting, or it is upsetting, or it is uh, interesting, or it is scary, or whatever it was." Did you have this kind of context in your uh, in your starting years? Martin, I see you nodding now. Yeah, I think I did. Um, I mean, I would talk about it with, uh, with David Reismar. I think I was teaching uh, history of psychology with him at the time. And and we would talk about the evaluations. Um, and, and he would say how he interpreted them. Um, and and uh, as Marika was saying, it, uh, it's not easy to interpret these evaluations. So on the one hand, I don't like it when people say, "Well, student evaluations, you know, it, uh, it's all useless." Um, on the other hand, y- you can't just you know take it as as it is written. Yeah, I suppose the conversation is about whether they are reflections of experiences or actual evaluations or assessments of yeah. um, of pedagogy. I think yeah. that's what you mean uh, in yeah. this in this context. And indeed, the 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 matter is very much uh, on the table about yeah. what what is it that we get when we have these uh, questions. And yeah. I suppose, like any other research instrument. It depends what it is that you ask. It depends yeah. on the context that you ask it in and uh, what you do with this and what kind of culture you create in soliciting these uh, responses and yeah. um, addressing them. Yeah, and ideally it, it turns into a conversation. Yeah. And, and again, it's difficult with a large course, I suppose, but uh, um, that, that, gives you s- that gives you some context about their, their remarks. Uh, and they get some context about you know, why the course is like it is, etc. Yeah, I always find it interesting when I think of fellow st- um, students, like some of them when they speaking about methodological courses in particular, a lot of them when they study a bit and they don't pass or they just pass, then their ideas on the course are very negative a lot of the times. And the few times that I've spoken to people who went the extra mile and actually learned a lot more for the reset, they they found them so much more interesting and then their feedback on it was a lot more positive so then i always wonder if uh, to to follow up on what you were saying about can you trust what is written because sometimes it's very harsh and i feel like a lot of times when i talk about <laughs> courses that people don't like it often there often are those courses that we're talking about mostly i feel like then it really colors how they give feedback on on those courses in particular so I always wonder if the teachers of those courses also feel that to a degree. Um, and maybe because I know, Martin, you were talking about how you, ha- you teach multiple courses. Um, if you really see a difference in the, f- the kind of feedback you get for, uh, on the one hand, methodological courses, maybe. And on the other hand, maybe more course driven and uh, course a content driven uh, courses. Yeah. So the one thing that I don't teach is methods. Uh, apart, well, I, t- I, I taught an uh, intro to a qualitative research methods course. Um, but this is not a, um, a, a stats-heavy course that, uh, you know, it's, it's a sort of scary course for everybody. So, so maybe that's different. Mm. Okay. 
Yeah, so for me, when I started in Utrecht, they always said the method courses do not get high grades, like mm. get high evaluations. It's and I was hilarious. Like, Most yeah. of the teachers nominated for this award in our faculty did so teaching yeah. methods courses. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I think also my opinion in Groningen uh, changed. Um, so I'm not sure if that's different between university or... I don't know, but... Um, so there I was mainly told to also focus on, on like the positive aspects of the um, of the evaluation because I really those those negative comments really got to me and um so I think I learned to deal with it and when I started reading them and I they really got to me I just stopped reading them for me that worked and then I just looked at the numbers and so that's why I really like in Groningen, we also have these written feedback, right? So you get more substantive comments. And at sociology, there's also so there's a lot of interaction with the students. So if I get this written report and I have questions about it, I can also go back to these students. So this is something that really works for me. And it also gives me peace when I have like questions about things that they think need improvement. I, and I think, well, why or... Um, yeah, how 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 can we do this? I also ask them sometimes for for advice if they have like pointers. Um, so so that's that's um, one part, and um, maybe also nice to mention. So at the sociology test days, we are now also researching why uh, students um, uh, fill out these course evaluations. We did last year, and we did this, did this now, and actually. From this year on, these evaluations will change. So, Malcolm, what you said about mm -hmm. uh, filling out the evaluations after the exam, we are now starting changing this. We are started. We are trying now to do these evaluations at, uh, for example, the last lecture. They get a link, and they are not evaluating the exam anymore, but they are evaluating the course, and the exam is evaluated uh, in a different way mm -hmm. so then the the grade that they get at the end if it's like a three or a four <laughs> it's maybe mm -hmm. yeah it, it influences them less uh, mm -hmm. when they um, um yeah give give the uh, quantitative evaluation and we have to see, of course, how this goes. But then, at this point that you that you were mentioning about yeah. getting giving a yeah getting a low grade, and then having poor evaluations, yeah, maybe that problem is, is solved. And vice versa, we also need to acknowledge that uh, perhaps receiving a high grade is uh, <laughs> impetus for providing positive evaluations, right. more positive than is necessary. It's, an, uh, it's mm. uh, the bias can go both directions. I, I still want to return a little bit to the the beginning of your teaching careers. Uh, Marika, I know, uh, Martin, you mentioned it as being scary. I, I appreciate this. I think a lot of us can relate to the idea of going into a task that largely I think we are untrained or very implicitly trained on. And Marika, you mentioned about developing skills and how this was more, I suppose, liberating or empowering as you uh, went through your career. I think my first question is: How did you develop these skills? Was it active? Was it uh, or uh, was it proactive? Was it organized? Was it structured? Was it haphazard? Was it uh, <laughs> how was this journey? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was not really structured. So I am like organized, but this wasn't really. Yeah, dear dear listener, out. everyone <laughs> is laughing in the room, and I think uh, you know where this direct where this discussion is going. So tell us more about this. I, I think that they just <laughs> needed someone for the course, right? Uh -huh. And they just put you in front of a, like a like a, like a hundred students, and they uh -huh. say, well. 
<laughs> you can probably teach this course. And I got the slides from someone else and you try to tell a story. <laughs> and I think at the beginning, I did not really realize that it, this is maybe scary. I just did did it. And then maybe two years later, it got m- it got a little bit scary because then I realized what I was really <laughs> doing. And that there are things like learning goals <laughs> that, you <laughs> that you have. And, and, and then I also started, yeah, l- learning about how to teach. I, I mean, and then I did like the, the, the basic qualifi- qualification, uh, the teaching qualification. Then I learned about this, but then it uh, wasn't also that I could immediately apply this to the courses and no it was not really structured sorry for this uh, answer uh, Martin <laughs> you on the other hand came in fully trained and prepared oh, to be a, an educator <laughs> right well I, I did do a course on teaching uh, as an undergraduate mm. um, and and uh, this this turned out to be very useful in the end because it meant I could do a very short BKO <laughs> Twenty years the teaching uh, qualification. Twenty yeah. years later, um, but you know when I uh, started lecturing, uh, that was a few years after that course. And um, yeah, like like Marika, you know, you, you just you know you have a vague memory of, of following lectures yourself, and you just go out there and, and you you tell them something. Um, what does this say? What does this say about anything? Um, I wonder. It's true that um, most of us uh, in higher education are trained in our in our subject matter, yeah. history, theory, uh, methodology, whatever it was that I was trained in. And then the assumption yeah. is that now that you know that you understand, then you can also convey this yeah. knowledge, tell people how it is. And I suppose. Well, so, as I said, I mean, you have a memory of being taught, and and I I knew, you know, there were certain lecturers that I still remembered as being excellent lecturers, uh, some that I remembered as uh, as not so good, and and you try to emulate the good ones and and try to stay away from what the the bad ones do. It's turtles all the <laughs> way down. Then uh, I guess, um, and and. Uh, I remember lectures that were, uh, I thought were very good at the time, and um, I don't think the the BKO BKO would allow you to do a thing like that anymore. So, yeah. let's talk about educate or teacher professionalization. Yeah. It's uh, now let's get into things that I find scary. Um, it, clearly, there's been a shift in. In higher education, um, let's let's say in this country at least in the last uh, 10, 15 years, with a sharp focus on teacher professionalization. There's a lot more things going on. The educational festival, which is beginning today, twenty uh, seventh of March, twenty twenty three, here in Groningen, is an example of this. The BKO, the basic teaching or the basic qualification in education, is a reflection of all of this, um, and I suppose they are a way to to manage this 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 um, this this strangeness of being given such an important task essentially untrained mm-hmm. um, how do you find this shift do you find that the the efforts in professionalization not necessarily in this university or in this context but in general um, are uh, uh, have the right aims or are going the right direction or have the right uh, uh, attitude 
Yeah, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I so first of all, I think we c- we can improve here, right? I mean, that's also what we hear when you start as a junior teacher. Um, maybe you should first watch like a more experienced lecturer from your department lecture, and then talk about the lecture and see how you struct uh, a one and a half hour talk, for example. Yeah. However most of these things are very ad hoc, right? So if someone gets sick or there is like a a course that someone needs to give, so someone jumps in and you know something about the topic and you just teach and try to do it as good as you can uh, when you start. So, But Malcolm, you wanted to say something. No, no, I was just saying that I assumed that all of this happened (laughs) until I started speaking to more professors and then I realized, (laughs) like, no, that doesn't happen. So it's just interesting to hear you speak about it, yeah. That it is a bit more indeed ad hoc and it's like just it just happens. You just are put in front of a class, you know. Yeah. yeah. I have a memory of saying something similar in a previous episode, I think. But I guess historically speaking, um, higher education has been experts transmitting expert knowledge. It wasn't so much about didactic skills, but no. about literally um, uh, uh, transmitting information. And in 2023, this doesn't seem to be um, right anymore. That what we should be uh, thinking about isn't the transmission of information where we suddenly have thousands more sources to accomplish this, and sometimes much better than the formats that we use, such as lectures or whatever they might be. And um, the the focus on didactic skills may be... um, may be more warranted or it it may indeed be a, a, a matter of time yeah and I think this this shift towards uh, education towards um, away from transmitting knowledge to education um, on the whole is good uh, because uh, I think you know I was put in front of uh, a lot of people completely unprepared and um, I could have done better. Um, and yet here you are today. And yes, uh, th- I, I think I did learn something over the last, uh, what was it, 20 years. But um, I also think back, th- like that uh, that course that I mentioned just now that uh, still sticks with me as one of the best courses, that was just uh, th- the lecturer um, speaking week after week about this one book, uh, and it was just his interpretation of this book. Uh, and, and all we could do was uh, try to keep up with him and, and write down what he was saying. And it was absolutely brilliant. But there was no didactic skills there at all, apart from the fact that he was speaking very, very clearly. Yeah, it's interesting. I, um, I also noticed uh, in a lot of our discussions when we still talk about teaching as basically lecturing. When we talk about yeah. good teaching or bad teaching, we talk about it in terms of this is a good lecture or a bad lecture, or um, um, in whatever context you might want to think about it, it's usually lecturing. And I think there's a place for good lecturing. There's, uh, yeah, but but a lot of teaching is just too much lecturing, I think. So mm-hmm. in, in that sense, I think the, 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 the shift towards more uh, education and more d- diverse forms of, of teaching is good. 
Yeah, I also think the pandemic gave us a lot of new input in didactic skills, right? So we had to go online and lecturing online is very different. So this, of course, this also started before the pandemic, these didactic skills. But to me, a lot of new things uh, like uh, using these breakout groups, but also using all these online tools that you can use to engage students or let them do small tasks that are um, yeah, different from just writing something down and then, then uh, discuss it with you. I think, the yeah, then uh, to me, it, it a lot of, of these didactic things that you could do um, became to me also clear during the pandemic, a lot of new things at least. I mean, you can do small assignments in a lecture, yeah. you can do a quiz. This was uh, was like doing a quiz was already very cool, right? <laughs> but now, you know, there is like a lot of other things that, that you that you can do. And um, so, and, and maybe it also depends on the course. So I was thinking with, the, with, with uh, methodological courses, I think maybe these didactic skills um you need them to make <laughs> these courses more exciting but if you have like a very substantive uh, content oriented course on for example crime and and youth then you really all you have um maybe a more exciting story to tell and you can really go on the the papers that you've read or, or your own research or something um i i don't know because i do not give these courses mm. but <laughs> maybe that's the how do you understand student engagement? Uh, we've mentioned the word a couple of times already, and I'm always curious how we understand it as as teachers, and I suppose also as as students in this case. I know how it's often operationalized as a mentimeter tool, as something along those lines. But what do we really mean by student engagement? How do we know that somebody is engaged? What would we like, Martin? Maybe I can ask because when you were talking about your professor who was engaged in a weekly monologue about what was it Vic, uh, Wittgenstein no this was about Merleau-Ponty okay um, and this apparently was engaging oh yeah to you but no, no uh, but no. not in the way that we understand it in in these standardized or professionalized no, ways of, um, of education therefore maybe I'm taking a leap of uh, of of uh, reasoning here. Therefore, engagement isn't just about responding to a question, no. taking a quiz, um, any of this. So can we think of a more generalized understanding of what it means to be engaged as, a, as an individual in this? Malcolm, um, I'll ask you. You're, you're our uh, <laughs> resident student here. Hmm. <laughs> I always go a bit more philosophical when we think about things like this because I feel like engagement is is based on the individual person of course because like like martin was talking about some students really don't they, they want minimal engagement and then that's the engagement level that's good for them but then of course i can imagine the teacher is interested in the, the general group and what works for the general group um as much as possible so i, I find that a hard question because I, when i think of engagement i think of interest how interested am yeah. i in what exactly. is being thought yeah. Uh, how how is the teacher kind of catering to me in any way is that possible and are they making use of those um, possibilities within the the lecture the course um, so that's what i think about mainly yeah 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 the engagement needn't be visible hmm. i mean the, the 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 students who ask questions and and uh offer criticism or whatever that's a very particular kind of engagement um and and uh 
there are other kinds. Mm. You know, as long as they're not on their phone, they're engaged. Can make notes. For the Mentimeter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now put it away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, but I think what you say, Malcolm, about being interested in the course, also without asking questions. I mean, this is also maybe another skill that I think it's good to ask questions, but. Uh, Sometimes students know that they are not that person, right? They uh, just mm-hmm. um, um, yeah listen to you and need mo- more processing time as well. And then when they come home, they, they think about your course again, about like think the things that you say, and then they, are, they were also engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's hard to give a, like a... De- like a, a definition. It's no, it's, it's a horrible question. Yeah, yeah. thank you. No, <laughs> no, it's still good to think about. No, yeah. I find this uh, important, and I guess the the reason why I was asking this is because we often find ourselves, we as a as communities, not this community, but in general as communities, we find ourselves um, thinking about a topic that is in fact important, such as engagement. I think uh, engagement in education is is paramount, but then we find ways to operationalize it, to, to measure it, that are so narrow that we end up not accomplishing what it is that we set out to accomplish. Mm. And engagement for me is one of those difficult to define concepts. Actually, not just difficult to define. I think in terms of definition, I think we share the definition fairly well. It is about interest. It is about um, being connected to a topic, to a question, to a... To a an idea, um, a goal, perhaps finding it relevant, finding it meaningful personally, and um, and changing through this experience. But then the question is, um, how do we do this in a in the system that we have currently in higher education and in all forms of education, which is often described as transactional? You have to do these things, and then you will receive. A grade, which is your the the the, the product, I suppose that um, you're participating in, because that is the outcome, because that will become useful in finding yeah. a job or um, or something like this. Yeah. Um, in a setting like this, perhaps the the answer to creating uh, engagement or promoting engagement isn't simply to think about tools and um, uh, poll questions or quizzes or whatever all of the other things that we do that accentuate good teaching, yeah. uh, we should also consider what it is that we're doing here in the first place. We have people who voluntarily come to our courses, pay to be educated. Mm. Um, we should assume a certain amount of engagement and <laughs> assume that uh, we can foster this, we can stimulate, we can nurture it. Yeah. So, so I'm convinced that uh, for the research master course, one or the main thing that uh, gets the students engaged is that uh, we don't give grades. So it's a, it's a pass-fail course, um, and I don't think I ever make this explicit, but if they just do, if they are engaged, they will pass. Um, and I think this, uh, for the research master, this is uh, unusual, uh, and research master students are very ambitious. Um, and they also know that uh, they want to make a good chance for 
you know, funding uh, and whatever in their career, they at least think that they need high grades, and, and they're probably right. Um, so if you just put that aside and you say, okay, no grade, uh, we're just going to talk here uh, in, in this course about, you know, all these different, different topics, um, then they breathe a sigh of relief and they, they let go uh, and they will engage with the material. Um, but you can't do that for every course. No, not for every course, but the, the attitude, again, this, if there's anything that peeves me about these uh, awards that we're talking about today is their, 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 their focus on tools and techniques and mm. practices rather than attitudinal things, which I think are very critical. Personality, is that... A <laughs> no, that's not what... I values. Values, I meant. Mm. Not uh, not personalities. <laughs> um, because every time I speak to students and teachers about meaningful experiences and engaged experiences, time and time and time again, what comes up is the what you've been describing, Martin. It's not grades, it's not techniques, it's not any of these things, but feelings, experiences, mm -hmm. how you felt uh, during um, the, the very difficult process of understanding challenging material and changing in that experience. And uh, I think you probably have this the same experiences, uh, Marike, in this. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I was thinking, so we have uh, an internship that, that also at, a, at the master level that does not get, the students do not get a grade. And um, you really, and, and then they, in this internship, they are also less stressed. So I, I get the feeling that they also learn more because they can just, it's not really, they can do what they want, but they, they do not have to b deliver a report that, that gives them um, a grade for the internship. They can really learn about what people are doing at the, at, at the work floor and um, learn from that and, and also try things that might not work out, but they do not get a grade. So it doesn't really matter. So this is something I immediately started thinking of. And I also, um, what I also like now, this evening, I actually have an uh, exam methodology data collection, so we'll see how it turns out. But uh, students now started also right before the exam emailing me uh, with questions. And one of the students emailed me with, oh, I, I learned this in high school. It was uh, on a certain topic. And you also... Um, touched them on this topic and it was a little bit different and I want to learn more about it. Can you uh, give me some pointers? And it wasn't really about the exam. It was really he wanted to learn more and he really um, uh, wanted to, to yeah, get into the topic. And that's something that I, I think that's also engagement. So not asking, is this on the exam? No, I really want to have a, like a broader knowledge of a topic. And that's what I, yeah, I really like getting these, these emails, getting these kind mm -hmm. of questions. So, um, yeah. So yeah, that's what uh, what I was thinking about when when also Martin said this about not giving grades. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Hopefully, in the next uh, couple of months, we're going to have an episode on degrees of freedom about this. Uh, the 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 new umbrella term for this is ungrading, um, removing grades from being the focus of education, and um, it's an interesting development. Uh, clearly, with its own pitfalls and its own uh, dangers, uh, and hopefully, we'll have um, 
uh, discussion on this in the next couple of months. Nice. Yeah, I was wondering if we wanted to talk a bit about uh, the, the the actual um, course that you uh, were nominated for, because um, yeah, I think it can be interesting because you can always glean maybe something from w- the the, cor- the the specific course you were um, giving and why it was um, nominated. So I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about what you were nominated for uh, for the teaching award. Yeah, um, so I was surprised this course was nominated. So qualitative research methods in the second year bachelor, it has quite a high workload and it's known for its high workload. So I was a bit surprised. Um, uh, but I, I know students do like it when they come out of the course. They say, oh no, I learned a lot. It was a lot of work, but I learned a lot. So th- I think that's always uh, positive to hear. Um, I think it was just... Not, not just, but it was nominated for how it was organized as a whole. So it was not one thing that was picked out of the course, but it was were all these small things that I um, um, used or tried to do uh, also for the students to keep them engaged, to keep them um, um, into the topic of qualitative research. So um, I think I give, so for example, I give them a lot of advice also in my course manual about how they can structure their weeks um, so that they keep up with the course because it has such a high workload. Um, I give them these reading questions that really um, makes that they have to prepare before the course starts. Um, and they actually like this somehow, so they they have some pointers and they know what they also can expect in the lecture because I will ask them about these questions. So maybe it's also about expectations, not having like a question and then they're like, oh, I did not really think about this, but now they all thought about the questions and they know everyone did it. So maybe it gives them a, it, 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 yeah, they are comfortable in class and then discussing it with each other. Um, so, so there were a lot of small things. I also used videos uh, for 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 uh, introducing them to qualitative analysis, and they can watch it before the practicals, um, which immediately gets them going during these practicals. So, yeah, I I do not have like one thing for you that <laughs> you like, but it was really I think really the structure of of the course, and and all of these different also uh, learning experience. So I. I sometimes give traditional lectures but most of the times i don't so they, they are discussing things they are giving peer feedback so it's also they can do a lot of different things and i think they also like that as well yeah but i think that's valid if the general course is just organized very well i think <laughs> i as a student would love to hear to see that really so i think it doesn't have to be one specific thing at least in my opinion yeah. but the fact that it was so well organized and that the students were happy with it is a, a, a very big positive i think yeah, yeah, I th- yeah. So that, yeah, so that's th- yeah. So that's why it was was nominated, and um, and uh, yeah, it it wasn't really one thing. It's just the how the entire course was built. Yeah, I think it's also important to remember that we talk about teaching in terms of the the two hours that we are standing in front of a group of people and either interacting with them or talking to them. But in my experience, this is like um, less than 10% of the work that I put into teaching, preparing Mm -hmm. courses, finding the right materials, interacting with people outside of classrooms, 
um, coming up with assignments, putting them in the right spots, right. all of these things, those, I think, make for good teaching because that's the bulk of teaching. Mm. Martin, what's special about your course <laughs> b- besides the obvious? <laughs> I, d- I don't really know, like Marika, what I was, n- what the which practice was uh, the reason for nomination because uh, the course is very diverse. Um, also, because um, I coordinate the course and I, I uh, do a couple of the sessions, uh, but there is uh, uh, six. Um, lecturers involved and and they all do something different um, uh, d- they're unmanageable I think <laughs> so I, I, d- I will uh, encourage them you know to uh, keep it uh, interactive uh, but some you know have, have uh, lectures and then will ask questions um, other sessions are much more practical um, and then my sessions tend to be i have this list of topics that i want you know covered and i'll start with uh the brief intro of 10 minutes and and then i want them to uh, take over basically Uh, so it's very diverse Um, assessment is very diverse there's a couple of uh, formative assessments Uh, they have to prepare things and these are then discussed in uh, uh, in the session um, and then there's the final essay, which I talked about, which is very open. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I don't really know what uh, the practice is that they, they like so much. Did you, did you get any feedback from them about the general course uh, from the students? Uh, yeah, they're very much into feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, I think it was mentioned by the student representative that uh, one thing they um, liked very much is the fact that right at the end of the course, um, me and uh, uh, one of the lecturers, Ren uh, Kukstra, we have a sort of an extra session. Um, and uh, this is uh, not uh, obligatory, so whoever wants to come can come, and about usually about half of them comes. And it's uh, again very open. We say, well, you know, you can we can discuss the uh, your work on the final essay. Uh, that never works because they've never started their final essay yet. Um, and then, you know, uh, what do you want to talk about? What's left uh, from the topics of the course? Um, and we will also ask them, what do you think of the course? Mm-hmm. Um, and we got very useful feedback. Uh, Sometimes or often, maybe the the generalized answer to what makes these courses special and also how it relates to student engagement is teacher engagement. I always find that to be a common theme mm-hmm. um, when yeah. when teachers are engaged. You know, you talk about these extra sessions. You talk about situations where grade isn't necessary. You talk about uh, questions um, that aren't in the exam. All of these things are. Um, manifestations of teacher engagement and I think this is itself um, contagious or inspiring um, I want to do something new in this podcast or new at least to to my memory and my memory is horrible I want to go into a quick fire round and I want to ask oh. you a couple of quick questions and I want quick answers yes no 
or? Well, they're not that kind of <laughs> okay. question. Right. Do you have role models in this context in education? Marika? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I do not often visit lectures of, uh, of others. Yeah, no, that's fair. So, um, yeah, but I think they are so, so more from when I studied. Yeah. These are the role models. Yeah, that's good. And I know colleagues who are very good, but do no. not, yeah. That's that's what I was asking yeah. about role models, Martin. You of course. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, but uh, is it more seriously. I was being serious. Well. <laughs> no, like like Marika, like from when I was a student, uh, I still remember a few lectures that stick in my mind and a few lecturers that uh, I thought were very good. Yeah. Okay. Question number two. But but, but um, <laughs> as lecturers, you don't visit each other's lectures very much. Wow. All right. So it's I'll hard change my question number two. What would you like to change in the context of giving education? In if you could change one thing magically, snap of your fingers, what would you change? Well, that we would visit each other's lectures. Mm. Smaller okay. groups. Smaller groups. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, that's easy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think that's, that's an easy answer. <laughs> Sorry. Um, advice for a student who's just starting their program. Any advice? Uh, watch the news. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good advice. That's good advice. That's good. I said, uh, when I asked myself this question a, a year ago in the first podcast, I said uh, they should learn to cook. So it's, uh, uh, yeah. it's good advice. Martin? Maybe read before you go to the lecture and, and uh, prepare a question or, or uh, any kind of thought about what you've just read because I think that helps you engage with the lecture. If you just sit there uh, you know, waiting to be taught, um, that's maybe not the best way to learn. And last question. What would you change about your own teaching? Things that you do that you would want to change? Be more organized. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say so being a less organized. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> perfect. <laughs> you <should do> that's <laughs> great. <laughs> right. How about acceptance? How about more acceptance? Would that, uh, would that fit the, the theme on this for both of us or for both of you <laughs> and for me as well? <laughs> <laughs> I've really enjoyed this conversation with uh, with all of you today. Thank you very much for being here. The, it, we we covered a lot of topics that um, I know are on uh, on our minds, Malcolm and my minds, all the time when we're preparing for these recordings and when we're thinking about higher education. I'm very grateful to have had the chance to to talk with you about them today. Thank you for having. Thank you. Me. Yeah. Us. <laughs> And thank you to our listeners for um, for tuning in to Degrees of Freedom one more time. Uh, we'll see you in our next episode. This podcast was a production of the University of Groningen.